Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Good morning, Redemption people! It is so good to be back. It's so good to be together again. Hey, I am fired up and excited. If you don't know, my name is Byron, and I get the great privilege to serve here as the lead pastor, and I am jacked because today we're going to be starting a brand new sermon series called We Are Redemption, and this sermon series is kind of like a review, but also like an introduction. We do a vision series pretty much every August just to be able to remind us who we are, why we exist, and where God is leading us together as a church, but also in the month of August, let's just be honest, over the course of the summer, our life gets a little interrupted. Routines get a little interrupted, especially COVID-19, everything gets a little bit interrupted. When people are on vacation, kids are out of school, college students are away, and over the course of the summer, we're just hanging out, having a good time, and now that school's getting reopened and things are beginning to reopen, the church is reopening, I believe it's a great time for us to be able to remember who we are, why we exist, and where God is leading us together as a church. And so we're going to start this sermon series called We Are Redemption, and it's going to be taking a look at different ways that we experience life change through Jesus here at Redemption. That is our great vision statement, that Redemption Church exists to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through who? Jesus. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at different ways that here at Redemption, we experience life change through Jesus. And so before we dive into this series, let me go ahead and set up the content. Normally, what we do at Redemption is we preach straight through books of the Bible. It's actually one of our core values as a church. And it's what is known as expositional preaching. Big, fancy college word, but here's what it means. We say what the Bible says. And so we start in chapter one of a book and we work our way all the way until we get to the very end. So we just wrapped up the book Song of Solomon. It is the Old Testament love story. Before that, we did the book of Philippians, which is all about finding joy even when you don't feel like it. And the big idea of that series was even when the world is falling apart, it's possible for you to have joy in your heart. After this sermon series, we're going to be diving back into the simple gospel, our study in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 11, Jesus comes right on in and starts flipping over tables. It's going to be an incredible, but right now, here we are, we find ourselves in this season, in this moment, and we're going to be taking a look at what it means for us to be the church and what kind of church God has called us to be here at Redemption. And let me just go ahead and say up front that I love the church. I love the church. 
I love any church that preaches the Bible, that loves God, loves people. I love the church. But over the course of this series, we're going to be talking about our church. We're going to be talking about what God is doing in our church. And we're going to be talking about how you can get involved here at our church because we are redemption. So here's the next five weeks. We're going to do five weeks in this series. And let me go ahead and set it up. Today, the big idea is this. What is a church? If somebody were to ask you tomorrow, hey, what did you do this weekend? And you said, I went to church. And they said, what is church? How would you answer that question? Okay, hopefully today, we're going to give you some ways in which you can answer that question. We're going to be talking about what is a church. And then week two, we're going to talk about discipleship. What does it mean for us to be a disciple of Jesus? How do we follow Jesus in our everyday life? The next week is week three. It's over sound doctrine. What do we believe as a church? And then the fourth week, this is going to be your favorite week, I can guarantee you, go ahead, put it on your calendar, because the fourth week, we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite subject, money. There you go. We're going to be talking about money in a sermon called, What is Stewardship? And then lastly, number five, what is church membership? What does it mean for us to not just believe, but what does it mean for us to belong to a church? We're going to talk about why church membership matters and why it's so important for you. And my hope and my goal is that by the end of this series, you wouldn't say that it's just a church. You wouldn't just say, oh, that's their church. My prayer for you is that you would be able to say, no, this is my church. That they aren't redemption. My prayer for you at the end of this sermon series is that you would be able to say, we are redemption. So we're going to be starting this series And so let me give you a challenge at the very beginning. Okay, just a couple of ways for you to make the most out of this series. I believe that when you come to church, you should get everything that God has for you. Right? I mean, how bad is it for to come to church and walk out the door worse than it were when you walked in the door? That's like going to a restaurant and leaving hungry. What I want for you to do is I want for you to get everything that God has for you. So I'm going to give a challenge. Over the next five weeks, would you just give me five weeks? Five weeks to see how life change happens. And so here's what I want you to do over the next five weeks. Number one, take notes. Under your chair, there is a sermon note sheet. Go ahead, look down under your chair. There's a sermon note sheet. And I want you to take notes. There's a pen. And if you take that pen and you put it on the paper and you do these things like this, like that with your hand, the pen actually writes words on the paper and it helps you remember. I I heard this, that people forget 75% of what a pastor says within 24 hours. Now me, I spend about 15 hours a week working on my sermon and I don't do that so you can forget it. So I want you to write it down, take notes, and then I want you to, step number two, take those notes to a small group. I want you to join a small group, just five weeks. Give it five weeks. Take those notes to that small group so then you can begin to get connected with other people. You can begin to apply God's word in your life and you can get connected in the church. Underneath your chair again, there is another piece of paper. It's called a connect card. Okay, if you're a guest, fill it out. We would love to be able to connect with you. Also, there's little 
boxes on the back that say small group, baptism, um, member. I want you to click, check what you would like to be involved in, and we would love to get you connected. So we're going to talk about small groups at the end of this sermon series. We're going to do baptisms. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, if you have yet to be baptized and follow the Lord in that, we want for you to sign up to be baptized. And also, there's a box here that says become a member, which is step number three. And if you do these things, if you take notes, if you join a small group, at the end of the five weeks, you have the opportunity to become a member here at Redemption Church. And on September 20th, that's a Sunday night, at 6 o'clock here at the church, we're going to have a big member party. We're going to have a party for all of our members. Whether you're currently a member, whether you want to be a member, we want to invite you to become a member. We want to invite you to take ownership of the church, to say that this isn't just the church that I go to. No, this is my church. This is this is our church together and that we are redemption. That's my hope. That's my goal. That's my prayer for you today, that you would be able to say we are redemption because this is my church. Now, some of you are probably asking this question. Do I have to be a member in order to come to redemption? No, not at all. You do not have to be a member to come to redemption. Anyone and everyone is welcome at our church. That's why in the vision statement, we say every man, woman, and child. Because here at Redemption, we believe that every means every. And we welcome every man, woman, and child to experience life change through Jesus. You do not have to become a member to come to Redemption Church. But my question for you is, why wouldn't you want to be? Because this is a great church. This is a wonderful church. This is an incredible church. I know I'm the pastor, and they pay me to say that, but I really believe that this is a wonderful church. And even if I was not the pastor, guess what? I would still be going to this church because this church is special. And so I want to show you today why Redemption Church is so special. Today we're going to be talking about what is a church? So let me go ahead and start off this series by showing you a few pictures. Now, I'm going to need that audience participation. Okay, I'm going to show you a picture, and then I need you to tell me what it is, okay? And it's not going to be hard, right? If you, can do, if you graduated kindergarten, you can pass this class, okay? All right, so I'm going to show you a picture, and I want you to tell me what it is, okay? What is that? An apple. An apple, yes. Okay, what about this one? Yeah. Meow. It's a cat. AKA the Greek word for demon. Okay, how about this one? What is that? It's a giraffe. How about this one, my favorite? Hot dog, that's a hot dog. How about this one? That's me eating a hot dog. I love hot dogs. Okay, one more, one more, one more. What is this? That's not a church. That is a building. This, this is a church. But that's not any church. That's our church. That's us. That's my church. That's our church. And my prayer by the end of this series is you would be able to say, this is my church. Because this is what God is doing here in our lives. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus actually says the word church for the very first time. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I will build what? My 
my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Did you know that Jesus has a church? Seriously, Jesus has a church. Jesus takes ownership of his church. Jesus says, that's not just any church. He says, I'm going to build my church. This is an astonishing statement. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, only had 12 people in his core group. And he is a Galilean peasant in the middle of nowhere in an ancient Judean city. And you ask him, what is your vision? What is your dream? What is your goal? What are you going to do? What legacy are you going to leave behind in your life? And here's what Jesus says. I will build my church. Jesus takes ownership of his church. Jesus builds his church. And so the question is, what is a church? What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus building? Because for the last 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has continued to grow. It started with 12 men on the side of a mountain, and it has grown into a movement where today there are over 3 billion people on the planet worshiping Jesus Christ as the risen Lord, Savior, God, and King. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every socioeconomic background, every race, every creed, every group of people, anywhere you can imagine, Imagine there is a church there where they're worshiping Jesus as their Savior. The church of Jesus Christ is bigger than anything on the planet. There's more churches than McDonald's. Okay, everywhere you go in the world, you say there's 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 Coca-Cola. Jesus was there first because the church is the built is what Jesus is building in the world. That kings and kings come and go, but the church is still here. That philosophies and ideologies come and go, but the church of Jesus Christ is still here. That empires have risen and fallen, but the church is still here. That other religions have come and gone and faded into the background of human memory, but the church of Jesus Christ is still here because there's nothing better, nothing bigger, and there's nothing like the church of Jesus Christ. And we love the church. But here we find ourselves in downtown Beaumont. And we're going to see why we love our church. But in order for us to understand, we got to really know kind of where we come from. And so I want to let you know that me and Ashley, my wife, we actually started this church four years ago. Four years ago, me and Ashley moved to Beaumont. This is where I grew up. This is where I'm from. See, I grew up in church. I grew up growing a church. I had a praying grandma. How many of you had a praying grandma? You had a praying grandma? Praise the Lord for praying grandmas. I had a praying grandma that raised me in the church. And when I became a teenager, I ran away from the church as fast and as far as I could. But you know, praying grandmas, they do not give up. She kept praying. She kept believing. And that church, I didn't know this until recently, but even in my wayward years, when I was running as far from God as I could, that church had a small prayer group of women who every week they would fast, they would pray, and they would get together and they would prophetically declare that God had a plan for my life. And they prayed for me. And then one day, I met this beautiful girl. And she invited me to church. I said, I do not want to go, but you're cute, so I'll go. <laughs> and her name was Ashley, and she brought me to church and actually gave my life to Jesus in her church. 
And ever since then, I've been taking my wife, Ashley, to church. Every single week, we've been going to church for the last 12 years. And about five years ago, the Lord called us to start a new church. And so we moved here to Beaumont, and we began starting a church. But the problem is we didn't have a building. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a budget. We didn't have any people. We didn't have a clue. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. Right? But we had a prayer. We had a vision. We had each other, and we believed that God was with us. And so we began just dreaming. What does it look like to be a church where we get to help people experience life change through Jesus? And so we just started meeting people, talking to people, and we realized a lot of you have stories a lot like mine, that you grew up in church and you ran away from Jesus, and now I believe that Jesus is using redemption to call you back home. And so we just tried to figure out what it looked like, and the first person that we met was uh, a young man named Bo King. And Bo is actually now our worship director here at the church. He was leading us in worship before. He was one of the first people that we met. And, and, and so Bo actually started our, our church in his small group at his house. Look at that. That's, that's the church. That's the beginning of our church. That was it. You see all of this? It started here. <laughs> that was the very first core team of our church. And we kept praying and believing, and we kept seeing other people begin to experience life change through Jesus. Amen. And so uh, a few months after this, we found a location. We moved to Crockett Street, the gig. You throw a picture of the gig up there. It's a bar in downtown Beaumont, right? <laughs> so we started, we started a church in a bar, okay? And it was wonderful, and God did some amazing, incredible things. There was our first baptism Sunday. Our whole entire church fit in that picture around the baptism tank. And we got to see people experience life change through Jesus. I mean, it has been an incredible journey. How many of you here back in the gig days? How many of you here back in the gig days? Aren't you so glad we're not there anymore? I mean, praise the Lord for where we're at, but I'm praying for gospel growth to continue happening because that was hard. We used to wake up at like 6 o'clock in the morning. Everything our church owned went into a trailer in my backyard. And then I, did, I drive a Toyota Yaris, okay? So I cannot drive that trailer. So we had people from our team who would come to my house at like 6 o'clock in the morning, hook up the trailer, drive it downtown, and then the entire congregation would get together and we would unload this trailer, chairs, speakers, kids stuff, everything, and we would set it all up so that way more people could come and hear the good news of Jesus. How many, how many of you remember Kids Church in the gig? Right? That was, that was an adventure, wasn't it? I mean, like, because we didn't have, we had church downstairs in the gig, and then we actually had kids' church upstairs at Dixie Daycare, AKA. <laughs> You're laughing because you know what that is. Dixie Dance Hall, ladies' night, Saturday night, girls drink for free, okay? <laughs> and the floors would be sticky. Be walking in, you're like, you're like, what is that? And they're like, sorry, we had jello shots last night. And we're like, it's okay, let's just put the kids over here. There was naked women on the wall. There was like Bud Light, neon signs all over the place. We're like, pipe and drape, pipe and drape, pipe and drape, put all the pipe and drape up. Right? And that's, but for us, that was, that, that was, that was where we would get together as a church, and I saw God do incredible things. In fact, God began working so much in our church during that time, we outgrew the gig. We outgrew the gig. I mean, they would have Scott Stapp and saliva play there. 
not saying much, but we outgrew the gig, okay? And so we prayed and we prayed, and then we found this. This is where we're at. We found this, this building. God began to open doors, and then we actually got our very first building. Praise the Lord for the building. From the gig, we went from about 80 people, and then in the year that we've been in this building, we've grown from 80 to 300. Yeah. Okay? I am not... It's, it's amazing, right? Right? It's, it's great. And, and here's, here's some of the things that when we moved into this building, look, this is what the sanctuary looked like. This is a picture of our sanctuary. Okay, this is what it was like when we moved in. It was trash. There was garbage. It was just an old storage unit that some guy had property downtown and just put everything in. Homeless people, vagrants, had actually been living in here. We found needles and condoms, beer bottles. We found all sorts of crazy things. In fact, right about where you're sitting right now, we actually found a car. There was like a 1971 Datsun that was just abandoned here, and there was just so much trash and everything on top of it that we had to remove everything, and then we had to tow the car out, and then we built this building by hand. Everything you see, our church built into this building. And it's been a wonderful thing because this is the building, not the church, this is the building, but when we moved in here, this is the difference because that's our church. See, this is a building, but that is a church. That we gather together as a church in the building, and we begin to pray, and we begin to believe, and people began giving, and people began serving, and people felt inspired. They felt a part of something. You know what they did? They took ownership of their church. That it wasn't just a place that they went. No, their blood, sweat, tears, and prayers have been poured into it. And that this small prayer gathering grew into this. And we got to see more and more of what God is doing. Because as we worship, as we preach God's word, he keeps bringing new, more people in. And we see people worshiping, finding freedom. We get to take holy communion together every week as a family where we get to remember what Jesus has done for us. We get to see people be baptized, going public with their faith. We get to see stories of life change through Jesus take place here. I'm not talking about what we want to see God do. You should be inspired because in this series, I'm talking about what God's been doing, what God's already done. I'm reminding us what it means to be his church. Jesus says he will build his church. And I know that Jesus was a carpenter, but he wasn't talking about a building. When Jesus says, I will build my church, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about people. He's talking about you, and he's talking about me, because when we come together, we become his church. When Jesus talks about building churches, he's talking about building people. And so let me go ahead, as we get ready to dive in, let me give you three things that a church is not. If a person were to ask you tomorrow, hey, what did you do this weekend? And you would say, I went to redemption. I went to church. And they were to ask you, what is a church? How would you answer that question? How would you let them know what a church is? You might be able to tell them by understanding first what a church is not. Okay, so let me tell you three things that a church is not. Number one, the church is not a building. Okay, I love this building. I'm grateful for this building. Praise the Lord for this building. But the church is not a building. There's lots of buildings 
and buildings come and go. We started the gig, we moved in here. We're not gonna be here forever. Our lease is actually up in a year and a half. Our lease on this building is gonna be up. And I believe that God has another building right across the street with 155,000 square foot that's waiting for us. There's another building waiting for us as a church. But if we think that this building is the church, then we'll never be the church that God has called us to be. The church is not a building. The second thing a church is not, the church is not an event. Right? The church is not just 90 minutes on a Sunday. That's not church. Church is not just get up in the morning, pound some coffee, wipe the crust out of your eyes, and just try to get the kids ready so you can make it here on time. Right? That's not the church. The church is not, I got to get a good parking spot. We need to get the kids checked in. Oh, no, the kids check-in printer didn't work again. Oh, we got to sign in manually. Oh, got to get in here. Oh, you know, first service let out a little bit late, so now we're getting in. Oh, the chair's a little uncomfortable. Oh, but the music's really good. The pastor's funny. Ha-ha. Pastor's funny. <laughs> Let's get the kids and let's beat the Baptist to Chili's, right? That's not the church. Just so you know, if you're new here at Redemption, I preach long sermons. You will never beat the Baptist to Chili's, okay? And all God's people said, amen. The church is not an event. And then number three, the church is not a business, See, we live in a day where people are highly consumeristic, where everything's about them, what they want, what they need, and how other people can serve them. And that's okay when it comes to trying to figure out, should I go to Chick-fil-A or Raising Cane's, right? Make the difference. We go to Walmart, do we go to Target, right? And that's okay when it comes to business, but that's not a good way to view the church. Because people want to make decisions about church based upon what programs, what services, events, and things that a certain church offers. So I like their kids' ministry, but I like their youth ministry. I like their worship. All right, these chairs are uncomfortable. I don't know, but their chairs are really comfortable, so I'm going to go over there, and these people have this ministry and that ministry, and then I begin to pick and choose what I want based upon my needs. And that's okay when it comes to a business, but that's not the way that the church is supposed to be, because the church is not a building. The church is not an event. The church is not a business. The church is something more than that. The church is something greater than that. Jesus has a bigger plan for the church than for it just to be a building, for it just to be an event, or for it just to be a business. Here's what the church is. The church is not an activity. The church is an identity. Church is not an activity. Church is not a building that you go to. It's not an event that you attend, and it's not a business that you frequent. The church is not some place that you go. It's a people that you belong with. It's more than that. It's not just something you do. It's who we are. We are the church. The church is not an activity. The church is an identity. It's who we are. It's how we organize, develop. It's how we grow. It's how we experience life change through Jesus, not on our own, but how we experience together. See, if the church was just a building, then you could go to church, but we don't just go to church. We are the church. If the church was just an event, then you could decide, do I want to attend? Do I not want to attend? How much do I give? How much do I serve? If the church was just an event, then you could go to an event. But you don't just go to church. No, here's who we are. We are the church. It's not just a business. No, we are the church. It's not an activity. What you do or a place you go, it is an identity. It is a people that you belong to. That's what a church is. 
When Jesus says, I will build my church, he's talking about people. In fact, the word church in Matthew 16, 18 is the first time the word church is ever used in the Bible, and it comes from this Greek word right here. You throw that fancy Greek word up there? Ekklesia. Turn to your neighbor and say, Ekklesia. You guys sound so smart. Look, you learned something new today. Ekklesia, and here's what the word ekklesia means. It means an assembly. It means a gathering. It means a group of people. Because we are the church. When Jesus says, I am building my church, he was talking about people. He wasn't talking about buildings. He wasn't talking about events. He wasn't talking about businesses. He was talking about people. He was talking about you. He was talking about you and you and you and me and your kids. And when we all gather together and we all orient our lives under the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we become the church. It's, an acti- it's not an activity, guys. It is an identity. And some of you are thinking, oh, wait, identity statement, that means I'm actually going to have to take ownership of this. You are. So let me give you five ways that the Bible describes a church. See, the problem that a lot of people have today in the 21st century when it comes to understanding the church is because we don't really have a definition of the church. And it would be nice if the Bible gave us a definition, but the Bible doesn't even give us a definition, right? There's the book Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, But there is no book of Webster that has dictionaries, right? There's no dictionary in the back of, or it's not in there. It would be nice if it was, but there is no biblical, actual definition of a church. Instead, what the Bible does is it gives us descriptions. It gives us illustrations, analogies. It gives us metaphors on what the church is supposed to be. And I want you to know, as we go through each one of these, they're identity statements, It's not just things that you do. It's who you are in Christ. That's who the church is. So here's the the first one. The first identity statement is that we are the family of God. Here's what the book of Ephesians says. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When you become a Christian, God is your father that you are adopted into the family of God. Before you're a Christian, right, you were distant, separated from God, lost in your sins. In fact, the book of Ephesians, just before this says, you are a child of wrath, that you are separated from him. And apart from Jesus' saving work in your life, you will not have relationship with God. And so God sends his son Jesus through his death, burial, resurrection. He sacrifices himself in our place for our sins, and then he adopts us into the family of God. Now, God is our father, and Jesus becomes our big brother, and then you and me, you become a son and daughter of the living God, but also we become brothers and sisters in the church, that we are brothers and sisters together. We are the very family of God. You've been adopted into a family. In the same way that when you were born, you were born into the human race, you were also born into a physical family. Whenever you're born again as a Christian, you're born into the Christian faith, but you also need a spiritual family that is the church. And the church becomes the family of God. And the local church becomes your family, how you begin to live out your faith in your everyday life. The first thing we see is that the church is a family. We're the family of God. Number two, 
We are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Individually, each one of you is a member of the body of Christ. See, Jesus, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And where Jesus right now is ruling and reigning in heaven, in his eternal kingdom, and many people, they wonder, if Jesus was here, wouldn't the world be a lot different? I really don't think it would be much different. To be honest, I truly don't. You say, wouldn't life go easier if Jesus was here? Wouldn't we be able to heal and help and serve so many people if Jesus was here? I don't believe so. Because Jesus, he's limited to time and space. See, whenever Jesus became a man, he took on human limitations. He is God, very God, but he's also became man in the flesh. And so when you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, he can only be one place at one time. He can only feed so many people. He can only pray for so many people. He can only serve so many people. He can only be in one geographic location at any time. But now that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he has sent the Holy Spirit to enable and empower us to be the church. The church is no longer limited by location. Because anywhere a church is, that's where the body of Christ is at. That Jesus is the head, and we become the hands and the feet of Jesus. You cannot close the church, because everywhere we are, we're bringing the hope and the grace and the message of Jesus Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. So when you're reading through the book of Mark, and you're seeing Jesus heal people, that's what the church is supposed to do, because we're the body of Christ. As you see Jesus serving other people, that's what the church does. We serve people because Jesus served us. Anything we see Jesus do. That's what the church does because we are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. The next thing we see is this, is that when Jesus returns, here's what he's coming from, the bride of Christ. One day Jesus is going to come back. The second coming is going to happen. Jesus will return. And when Jesus comes back, do you know who he's coming for? He's not coming for Amazon. He's not coming for UPS. He's not coming for your job. He's not coming for Walmart. He's not coming for your favorite political spectrum that you're on. He's not coming for any of those things. Whenever Jesus returns, do you know who he's coming for? He's coming for his bride. Jesus will return, and he will bring his bride with him into the eternal glory of heaven because we are the bride of Christ. He's coming back for the church. In fact, here's what Ephesians 5, 25 says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The way that a husband is supposed to love his wife is the way that Jesus loves us as the church. That Jesus lays down his life for the church. Jesus gives his life for the church. Jesus listens to the prayers of the church. Jesus brings hope and healing to the church. Jesus, he is there and cares and he will never leave and he will never forsake and he will always be there with the church because the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus loves his church. The next thing we see is that we are the light of the world. Don't take my word for it. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew. He writes this. He says, you are, he's talking to his people, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, true or false? This world's gotten pretty dark, right? True or false? True or false? You're like, pastor, I don't know because I just gave up a long time ago. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're like, I don't know. If you watch the news lately, it's just worse news, worse news. Oh my God, I can't believe that's still happening. They did what news? It's just like crazy. You're like, no, pastor, I have not watched because I just turned it off and I've been laying in the fetal position, sucking my thumb and loading my gun, waiting for the rapture to happen. I'm out of here. <laughs> But that's not what the church is supposed to do. No, we are the light of the world. When the world is at its darkest, the church shines its brightest. When the world is at its worst, the church is at its best because we're a beacon of hope where people get to see that there is a better way of life. There is another kingdom that is not of this world. There is a kingdom of light. There is a kingdom of God. When people see us, they should see that there is hope and there is peace and there is a way of life that I do not experience. So we are the light of the world. We don't run away from problems. We run to them. We don't run away from situations. No, we run to them. We engage in them because we are the hope of the world. We are the light of the world. Amen. Don't hide your light. Let it shine because you are the light of the world. And then lastly is this. We are a spiritual house. First Peter 2.5 describes the church as this. He says, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Here, Peter is actually echoing the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, I will build my church. And then Peter says, how does Jesus build his church? With people who become living stones. You know what you are? You're a brick. You're a brick that Jesus is using to build his church. And when we all come together, when you play your part and you do your part and when you give and when you serve and when you love and when you pray for somebody else and when you invite a friend and when you're taking ownership of your church, here's what you're doing. You're laying your brick down. And then brick by brick, piece by piece, you know what God is doing? He is building a spiritual house where people who are lost can be found where people who need healing can step in and get breakthrough in their life. That the church is to be a refuge. When people see the church, they should see the very kingdom of God. And they should say, this is what heaven is supposed to be like. This is God's destiny for my life. These are people that I could surround myself with and I can be safe and honest and I can experience God's best over me. Church is not a building. Church is not an event. No, the church is not even a business. It's not any of those things. It's better than those things. It's not what you do. It's who God has called us to be because we are the family of God. That's who you are. Redemption Church, you are the family of God. Redemption Church, you are the body of Christ, the visible representation of Jesus Christ in Southeast Texas. You are the bride of Christ. He loves you. He adores you. He is there for you. We are the, the family of God, the household of God. We are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. That's who we are. That's not what we do. That's who we are. And now immediately, what I need to do is this. I know some of y'all are a little excited. (laughs) But some of y'all, you don't really understand this right yet. Because we hear this all the time in church circles. We say, oh, I don't need to go to the church. I am the church. I don't need to be a part of a church because I am the church. I don't have to go on Sunday because I am the church. I don't need to be in a small group because I am the church. I read my Bible. I pray. I got a little cross tattooed on my arm back when I was like 21 years old. And I know I, have, I can't do anything, but, you know, I am the church. That's right, a little prideful on your part. <laughs> 
You think you're that special that you are the church? When Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't like, I will build my Steve. (laughs) I will build my Donna. He didn't do that. No, he said, I will build my church. Not a person, but a people. Let me say this. You can be a Christian by yourself, but you need other people to be the church. Because you are not the church, but you and you and you and you and you and you and all of us, when we come together, we are the church. See, you can be a Christian by yourself, but you can't be the church without other people. You say, but but what about when I do my devotional in the morning? That's great. So what about when I read my Bible? Say, so that's, that's wonderful. I do my version Bible app. That's incredible. That's great. I do the same things too. You're like, well, what about whenever I you know, uh, uh, go to the lake and I just like to go on vacation and I just like to hang out and go out and be in creation. That's what I like to do. That's my church. That is not a church. Reading your Bible on your own is not a church. Right? Praying in your car is not a church. Downloading a YouTube sermon is not a church. Going to the lake is not a church. Is there anything wrong with those things? No, I do those things. Next time you go to the lake, invite me. I would like to go. I'm totally cool with that. But that is not a church. That's you on a lake. The church is something different than that. The church is a group of people who have been called out by Jesus to do life together. That's what a a church is. You can be a Christian by yourself. All those things that I mentioned, that's you just being a Christian. But you need need people in order for you to be a church. And I'll take it one step further. It would be a lot harder for you to be a Christian without a church. COVID-19 is a great example, isn't it? How many of you really struggled with your spiritual disciplines during COVID-19? How many of you really struggled with that? You struggled with your faith. You had a crisis of faith. How many of you began to wrestle with doubt, wrestle with depression, anxiety, loneliness? You're like, but I'm a Christian. Why am I struggling so hard? Because you didn't have other people in your life. Because God never intended for us to be the church on our own. In fact, you can't be the church on your own. You need other people in your life if you want to be the church. You can be a Christian by yourself, but you need other people in order to be the church. And I would submit to you that it's gonna be a lot harder for you to be a Christian when you're not connected, involved, loving and giving and serving in a church. Because we need each other to be able to motivate, to encourage, to inspire, and to be able to hold each other accountable and help people keep moving forward. You have a story, and they have a story. You have gifts, they have gifts. You have an opportunity, they have an opportunity. And when we come together, that's when God begins to really do something. I believe that the biggest effect of COVID-19 is gonna be on people's spiritual health. I understand that there's physical health issues. I understand that there's mental health issues. But I truly believe that the biggest impact is going to be on people's spiritual health. Because here's the reason. Because you can go to a doctor, and they can treat your physical health. You can go to a counselor or a life coach, and they can treat your mental health. But there's only one place in the world where people can go to get healing when it comes to spiritual health, and that is the church. And we know what to do with the mind, we know what to do with the body, but nobody knows what to do with their soul. And for many people, your soul has been suffering because you've been out of the church. You've been disconnected from the church. You've been social distancing, but you've become spiritually disconnected from the life of the church. Here's how I know. Because recently, George Barna came out with a big survey of Christians in America. 
These are church members. This isn't just some dude on the street that they found outside of a college university. This is a legit study from the Barna Institute. And here's what Barna discovered. Since COVID-19, the state of the church, one out of three practicing Christians have stopped attending church services online or in person altogether. One out of three. 30% of the church is no longer active or engaged in their community. The second thing is 50% of millennials have stopped attending altogether as well. 50% of young adults under the age of 35 have just disengaged from the life of the church. The next one we see is 22% of Christians are currently reading their Bible on a daily basis. 22% of Christians are reading their Bible. We're reading the news. We're reading all of these different things. We're reading Instagram. We're reading Facebook. We're watching the news, Fox News, CNN, but we've forgotten the good news of God's word for our life. 22% are actively reading their Bible on a daily basis. And 12% of Christians during the pandemic are involved in any form of discipleship, small group, one-on-one meetings, or relationships with their friends. 12% of the church. We've social distanced, but we become spiritually disconnected. We need each other. How many of you feel this during COVID? It's just true. Online church is what it is. But I don't believe that it's a replacement for the gathering of God's people. I believe it is what it is. And I know that right now we have a lot of people in our congregation who are watching online. We love you. And they can't be here because they're unable to be here. Like I have a friend who she has cancer. She can't come because she's sick and she's at risk. I get it. I understand. I have another friend who has lupus. And because of her autoimmune disorder, she is unable to attend church. I was praying with her and talking to her this week. And I said, hey, I know you're not able to come to church, but do you think you're ready to be in a small group? She said, I can't be in a small group either because I'm at risk. And I said, man, we really miss you. She said, I miss you too. I miss the church. I miss people. And she said, I wonder at what part does it become where I begin to risk my physical health because my spiritual health is suffering so bad. She gets it. She understands. There's another guy in our church who's going in to have surgery tomorrow because they found a mass on his gallbladder. And we're going to be praying for him and believing for him. There's people because of their sick or at risk, they're unable to come to church and to be a part of the gathering. It's because they're unable. If you ask them, do you want to be a part of it? They would tell you, hands down, yes, I would do anything that I can be there. And some people are unable. But if I were just to push on you a little bit, most people are just unwilling that we become so comfortable, we become so complacent, we have forgotten who we are. We are the church. Who are you? We are the church. We are the family of God. That's who we are. We are the body of Christ. You're not the body of Christ when you're watching Netflix and eating bonbons. That's not the body of Christ. We are the, the, the household of God. That's who we are. Not when we're driving down the road, flipping people off because we're late to work. That's not the body of Christ. That's not being the church. That's not what it means. And so people say, but we are the church. We are the church. When we are doing the things that the church is called to do, that's when we are being the church. It's just different. Listen, I was talking to one woman in our church that I love dearly. She's been with us since the very beginning of the church. But COVID-19 has been really difficult on her when it comes to her spiritual discipline. So after one sermon, I, I was talking to her and I said, I said, hey, what was your takeaway from the message? And you know what she said? She said, I'll be honest with you, I didn't listen. Y'all want to be honest? Raise your hand. How many times y'all skip online church? 
There we go. One person is honest. The prayer team will be up front for you to repent after service. <laughs> She's like, I'm just being honest with you. I did not watch it at all. And I said, Ashley Jane Ellis. <laughs> You're my wife. My own wife was struggling. I was struggling. And if we're struggling, I can only imagine how much you've been struggling too. Because it's just, it's just not the same. There is no replacement for people. I mean, just when I watched the sermons online, it was just different. But then whenever I had my small group come over on Sunday, it was different. Isn't it just different being together? Because that's what God made us to be. He made us to be together. Like whenever I see you serving, it gives me the passion to serve a little bit more. When I see you worshiping and you're raising your hands, right, it gives me the strength to raise my hands just a little bit higher. Whenever I'm preaching and you amen, it makes me preach better, amen? Amen. It makes me preach better because it's just different because that's the way that God intended for the church to be. In fact, here's what the book of Ephesians, or the book of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he promised to be faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another up for love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That word meet together, circle it, understand it. Meet together is the assembly. Some of your translations say, do not neglect or forsake the assembly or the gathering. What is that? That is the ecclesia. Do not mistake or neglect the ecclesia, as is the habit for some, but encourage one another. Right now, we're in a season where we have people who hold to the confession of the faith, but they're not engaged in the life of the church. And here's what I want you to know. If you're taking notes, write this down. You were not just called to believe. You were called to belong as well. He starts by saying, the confession of faith. Jesus Christ is Lord. I've accepted in my heart. I've given him my life. Are you part of the church? No, that's not the full Christian life for you. Because the goal is not just to believe. No, the goal is also to belong. We need to consider how we can stir one another up for love and good works. For those of you who are online right now, we need to consider how we can serve those who are unable to be here. How can we serve them? They're feeling disconnected from the church. We need to reach out to them. We need to text them. We need to give to the church so we can help take care of them. We can send meal trains to those who are sick. We have a lot of women who just had babies. They're unable to come to the church. We need to go to them. We need to serve them because there are family. There are people. We need to serve them. We got to consider how we can build them up. But for those of you who are unwilling, we got to build you up too we got to consider how we can stir one another up. And I think the best way is to stir each other up is to be together in person. Because it's just different. It's different listening to a sermon in person than listening to a podcast in your car. It's different. It's different worshiping with our church gathered together rather than just listening to a Spotify playlist. It's just different. You know why it's different? Because God intended the corporate gathering of his people to be different. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up. And here's what happens. That the spirit in you, when when we're together, your spirit and my spirit, we stir each other up. That you give me hope, you give me confidence. It's not about me, but it's about what God is doing in your life that inspires me for my life. When my faith is weak, I can borrow yours. We're motivating each other. We're inspiring each other. We're engaging in each other's faith. And this is what the corporate gathering of the church is. We're stirring each other up for love and for good deeds.
You are not just called to believe in God. No, you've also been called to belong to a church so you can stir one another up to good works and good deeds. And so let's take a look, lastly, as we close, at what a church is supposed to be. I've shown you what a church is not. I've shown you what a church is. And then lastly, I want to show you what a church is supposed to be. And in Acts chapter 2, we actually get a description of what the first church, the early church, was. How they lived, how they operated, how they organized their life. And I'm going to give you seven habits of a healthy church based out of Acts chapter 2. And if we begin to apply these church, these principles, I believe our church will be stirred up and motivated for good works and good deeds. And so let me just read it up front, and then I want to give you seven quick habits of a healthy church. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to its prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being due through the apostles, and all who believed were together. I want you to look at that word. All who what? Believe. They were? Together. You were called not just to believe, but also to belong. It's biblical had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all who had need, and day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, how many of you want to be a part of that church? That is an amazing church. I mean, they're selling possessions, taking care of each other's needs. They're praying together. They're meeting in the temple courts. They're meeting in each other's homes for small groups. I mean, did you notice this? They ate twice. It talks about bread two times. It says they broke bread at church, and they went home, and they ate again. Like, that's my kind of church. That's the church that I want to be a part of. This is a church that eats. The church that eats together stays together. Praise the Lord. This is a church that loves to eat. This is the type of church that I want to be a part of because this is a healthy church. But remember, the church is its people. And so I would submit to you this, that our church can only be as healthy as you are. A church is only as healthy as the people who call it home. A church is only as healthy as its members. And so I'm going to read to you seven habits of a healthy church, and I'm going to ask you, how healthy are you? How are you doing? How are you living your life being the church? And then when we begin to do these things together over the course of this series, we're going to be and we're going to do the things that God has called us to do. The first thing is this. A healthy church is devoted to discipleship. Look at Acts 2.42. It says, they devoted themselves. Circle that word. This isn't just when they feel like it. No, they were devoted to it. They weren't being led by their emotions. They were being led by their devotion. They devoted themselves to following after Jesus, not just on a Sunday, but every day, day by day, meeting in the temple courts, meeting each other's homes. What is that? That is discipleship, following after Jesus. We're going to talk about this in greater detail next week, but they're devoted to the preaching of God's word, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. This is their discipleship. It wasn't something they did on Sunday. It wasn't something they did once a week or maybe when they feel like it. It wasn't whenever every presidential election or when some crisis happens in their life, they think, I'm going to go to church that day. That's not devoted to discipleship. That is the most important thing. That is the serious aspect of their life. They are devoted to it. This isn't just lip service. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. No, this is lifestyle that I'm going to give my life just as Jesus gave his life to me. They are devoted to their discipleship. So my question for you is, are you devoted to your discipleship? 
Are you devoted to following Jesus or is it just something you do on the weekends? Are you devoted to Jesus? The next one we see is there's awe-filled worship. They're excited to be there. They're fired up. They're pumped. I mean, look, people are getting healed. It says awe came upon every soul, right? I mean, this is exciting. This is wonderful. Awe comes upon their souls. They're so enamored by what God is doing in their midst. They start praising the Lord, and they have favor with other people. And signs and wonders through the apostles are getting done. People are like, what is going on in that church? Those people are crazy. And they're raising their hands, and they're worshiping, and they're celebrating because God is doing wonderful mighty works in their midst. Every Sunday when you come in, you know what the reason we worship is? One reason is because God is who he is. The second reason is because what God is doing in our lives. I mean, every week you come in, there's addictions that are being broken. There's marriages that are being restored. Last week we had couples come down and receive prayer through the Song of Solomon. We saw God begin to do healing and restoration in people's marriages. We saw mothers and children be reconciled together. We have seen people give their lives to Jesus. We have seen things totally turn around. People without jobs get new jobs. I mean, every week there's something incredible that God is doing, and it's just a reason for us to worship. So you should get excited. We're going to sing a song at the end of this message. You know what you should do? You should just keep your hands in your pocket and be quiet. No, you want to have awe-filled worship. We want to be in awe of what God is doing in our church. We are so inspired by what God is doing. The next thing is they're committed to community. It says they met in the temple courts. That's big church. That's kind of what we're doing right now. But they only did that on Sundays. And then it says, day by day, they met where? In each other's homes. So when I was a kid, we called it big church. How many of y'all remember big church? Okay, this would be big church, right? But outside of big church, there's what? Small groups. See, we didn't just make up small groups. No, this is actually in the Bible. That you would gather together on Sunday, and then you would scatter as the church throughout the week, because that's how community is built. And it says they had everything in common. Does that mean that they got along all the time? They agreed on everything? Does that mean that they wore the same clothes, listened to the same bands? Does that mean that they had the same political opinions? No, that's not what it means. It means common unity, community, common unity. That there was something that transcended styles and political positions. There was something that went deeper than just your hobbits and and, and your extracurricular activities. There was something different than your habits. There was something different than all those different things. There was something deeper. It was a common unity that they had. That Jesus has saved my life. Jesus has changed my life. Jesus is working in me. Jesus is working in you. And if we have Jesus, then we have everything we need. It was a common unity. And can I just say something like this? You are not going to get community in the church lobby. You will not get it. When our church was small, you could. When our church could all fit around, pray to one another, you could get community in our church. But you cannot get authentic community in a lobby. You will not get genuine community or be devoted to discipleship or any of these things if you only come to church on a Sunday. You just will not get it. You need both. People want to know, do I go to big church? Do I go to small group? How about you just go to both? Just go to both. It's not both and, it's either or. Say, if you try to choose which one you're going to do, here's what's going to end up happening. It's going to be just like you trying to lose weight without going on a diet. It's not going to work. You're like, but I got my 10,000 steps in, but you didn't put down the burrito. It's not going to work. You have to have both. Have to have big church on Sunday, small groups during the week. Be committed as a community. Number four, they were generous. 
They, they give generously. Listen, if we're the physical representation of Jesus, shouldn't we be the most generous people in the world? We should be so generous. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. James says every good and perfect gift comes from above. God gives generously. God gives us this world. God gives us this day. God gives us the breath that's in your lungs. God gives us the Bible. God gives us the Holy Spirit. God gives us the church. We as a church should be generous in giving back to others. So my question for you is this. How is your generosity? Are you giving not to the church, but are you giving through the church to others who are in need? See, the church doesn't really just need your money. No, the church has opportunity for you. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. As we give through the church, we make a difference and an impact in the world. Let me just go ahead and tell you what some of your generosity has done. During COVID-19, I want to encourage you. We had a lot of people in our church who actually lost their jobs. And they didn't know what they were going to do to pay their rent, pay their bills, pay their groceries, or take care of their family. And within the first week of COVID-19, we were able to meet every need of each of those individual families in our church. No one went without food. No one went hungry. Everybody's bills got paid. Electricity got taken care of. We were able to provide for our members. We beat the government to take care of people. Praise the Lord. That's your giving. In fact, through COVID-19, we actually gave above and beyond, and we increased our giving during that season to $20,000. You gave above and beyond our normal budget, $20,000 to help them meet the needs of others. We picked up more missionaries. We were able to supply better benevolence to people who were in need. We didn't miss a single paycheck for our staff and employees. Our bills got paid. The lights are still on, and the church keeps growing. That's because what God does when you give. We should be a very generous church because God has been so generous to us. Number five, it prioritizes prayer. I want you to know something here at Redemption. We make prayer a priority. Every first Wednesday of the month, we pause everything in the church. First Wednesdays, everything's paused the whole week. Small groups, any other additional ministries, staff meetings, deacon meetings, all that stuff completely stopped for the first Wednesday of the month. You know what we do as a church? We pray. We get the whole church together, and here's what we do. We pray because a healthy church prioritizes prayer. I truly believe this. I believe that a church is only limited by the size of its prayers. A church is only limited by the size of its prayer. Do you want to see breakthrough in your life? How about you come pray? Do you want to see your friends saved? How about you come pray? Do you want to see the church grow? How about you come pray? You want to see that building bought? How about you come up here and you start praying because we are only limited by the size of our prayers. They meet together. They pray. In Mark 11, Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. If this church only depends on me and the latest self-help book that I've read, we're doomed. If the church only depends on you, we're doomed. If the church only depended on us, we're doomed. But the good news is the church doesn't depend on us. We depend on God. And as we go to God in prayer, we get God's heart, God's mind, God's word, God's will, God's wisdom, God's guidance for our church. And when we know what God is asking of us, we know that anything is possible. And whatever we do will be accomplished. A church is only limited by the size of its prayers. I want to see you at First Wednesday prayer night. Every single time, because God does wonderful things at our first Wednesday prayer nights. A church is only limited by a size of prayer. We prioritize prayer. 
Lastly, or number six, effective in evangelism. How many of you know and love somebody who does not yet know and love Jesus? Then we got work to do, guys. We're not done. We're not done. God did not call us to sit on the sidelines. God called us to get up and go to the world. We need to be effective in our evangelism, investing in other people, giving of our time, listening to their stories, answering their questions. We need to be effective in our evangelism and then invite them to church. You say, it's awkward, it's hard. I don't know how to invite them to church. Look under your seat. There is an invite card. And every single week as you grab this invite card, we ask you to hold it up. And here's what we say. This is not an invite to church. No, this isn't an invitation to church. What is this? This is an invitation to life change through Jesus. You're inviting them to experience the same life-changing power that you've experienced for your life. And if you're a member of our church, if you say redemption's my home, and you're a member of our church, you know the challenge that we've given every single one of you. Every year as a member, here's the challenge, that you will reach one person for Christ that you will personally lead one person to Jesus every single year, and that you would get the honor and privilege to baptize them on Baptism Sunday. And we want to be effective in our evangelism. Those people that you know and love, you get the opportunity to lead them to Christ. You can step in these baptism water the way that you were baptized by somebody who led you to Jesus, the way that you were baptized by somebody who discipled you, the way that you were led to Christ through a relationship. Now you have the opportunity to do the same thing for someone else. And when you get to experience that, it's going to build your faith and you're going to be the church. And then lastly, number seven, the only one that is not an alliteration. A healthy church takes ownership. A healthy church says, this is my church, which means it's my responsibility. As you read through Acts 2, 42 through 47, in your small group, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who was doing the work at the church? Who was it? Was it Pastor Peter? Was it the pastor? Who was doing the work? Was it the deacons? Was it the apostles? Was it the praying grandmothers? Who was doing the work of the church? The church was. Everyone was because they took ownership of their church. Who was breaking the bread? Everyone was. Who was serving others? Everyone was. Who was giving generously? Everyone was. Who was praying together? Everyone was. Who was devoting themselves to discipleship and the breaking of bread and the prayers and the apostles' teaching? Who was doing these things? Everyone was because they took ownership of their church. They said, this isn't just a church. No, this is my church, which means it's my responsibility. A healthy church is filled with people who are not consumers but are contributors, people who are not sitting on the sidelines but people who get in the game, people who are not spectators but participators in the mission of God. That's a healthy church. A healthy church takes ownership, says, this is my church. We love the church. But if we want to be the church that God has called us to be, we need for you to be able to say, this is my church. I want for you to be able to say, we are redemption. Whenever me and Ashley started this church, I want you to understand something. We did not start this church because I just loved preaching. To be honest, there's better preachers out there than me. We didn't start this church because we love worship. In fact, there's better worship teams than ours. Ours is pretty amazing. No dig on you. But if you wanted just wonderful preaching and worship, you could download that at home. There's other places, there's other things that we could do. We didn't start this church because we love fundraising and trying to renovate buildings. If that's all we were about, shut this place down. Do you know the reason that me and Ashley moved here to start this church? 
It's because we loved you. Do you know what makes Redemption Church special? I told you at the beginning I would tell you what makes Redemption Church special. It isn't the building. It isn't our finances. It isn't the lights. It isn't the chairs. It isn't the kids check-in. That rarely works. (laughs) You know what makes Redemption Church so special? It's you. You make our church special. When we started this church, it's because we believe that God wanted to do something great in your life. And we give our lives to be able to see that for you. It's you who make this church special. Do you know who has the most important job in the church? It's not me. It's you. My job is to serve you. As a pastor, my job is to serve you so that way you can be able to experience everything God has for your life. That's why God called me here. And I believe that's why God called you here. Because together, we are redemption. The first conversation I had with a person who ever joined our church, as the band can come up, I am closing again, was with Bo King. Bo saw an ad on Facebook that we were doing. It was before the church ever started. And we went to a restaurant, and we sat down, and he had been out of church for many years. And as we began talking, he's like, I like your church. I want to be a part of your church. Tell me more about your church. And about an hour of this conversation, I looked him in the eye, and I said, no, this isn't my church. This is your church, too. And that was the day that he became involved in our church because it's his church. He takes owner for his church. I've had that same conversation with many of you. You'll come to me and you say, oh man, I love, I love your church or I love this church. And I stop you and I say, you've been coming for five weeks. This is your church now. <laughs> he said, my church. My prayer for you is at the end of this series, you'll be motivated, inspired. You'll remember why redemption is your church. And if you don't have a home church, we would love for our church to be your church. And we would love for you, along with all of us, to be able to say, we are Redemption Church. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.